Grab your ticket, get on board. This train is ready to roll. Yes, on today's episode, we're going to take a look at some college football, some highlights, also NFL scores and report, and get you ready for the NBA Finals. Who made it? We know the Lakers are in, but who's they're facing? Will it be the Heat or will it be the Celtics? You got to stay tuned to A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Guess what? That train is getting ready to roll down the tracks and it's coming up next. A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, Anthony Smith, your host. Let's get ready to roll. Skyler Thompson. Man in his face, lobs deep down the middle, has a man caught at the three-yard line and rolling into the end zone for the touchdown, Shabaston Taylor. We go man-to-man and bring pressure up, up the middle, and the pressure almost gets a good job by the running back stepping up and helping out there to give Skylar Thompson that extra second to throw, and we're just beat on the outside. A uh, little bit of a move there, and separates, and Trey Brown's not able to make up the distance. Nice throw and catch there from Thompson's got it. Three-man rush looking right. Still looking. Looks back left. Now he's going to take a deep shot down the near side. He's got a guy wide open at the Yogi 35. It's Mosey. He breaks three to the 20. To the 10. Shoved out of bounds inside the five-yard line. A blown coverage at Kansas State's got first and goal. We got a, a linebacker comes out of the box to cover it. It's me. And he just runs a go route. Somehow Meade loses him, uh, has his eyes in the wrong spot, and he gets in behind, gets the huge gain. Again, empty's giving us problems. That's two plays straight empty that have turned Thompson out of the shotgun. He'll run it himself over the right side. Hit it the one. Backing his way, backing his way. And he falls into the end zone for the touchdown. Snap back. Got there it blocked. Is. K-State blocked it. Picked up with the 40. Down the sidelines, 30 and tackle. And Kansas State has the ball. Down seven in Sooner territory. There it is. Solid against Arkansas State. Almost the same exact thing. Pressure off the edge. Lays out. Takes it right off the foot of the punter. This is this is right to Tiger. Two lights right. Taylor splits defenders to the 20, and he's going to take it into the end zone. And Kansas State is within an extra point of tying up. A 28-yard touchdown run by Deuce Vaughn. It's that two-back stretch. They like to attack that dub side. That's exactly what you saw there. They snap back, hold down, kick his way. It's got the distance, and it wow. is good. Wow. Dang. And Blake Lynch blasted through from 50 yards to put Kansas State on top with 4.32 to go, 38-35. to 35. No exaggeration. I'm standing right here at the crossbar. That's good from 65, boys. Welcome into another edition of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast as we take a look back at Saturday's college football. And it seems like every time another conference decides that they're going to start their season, there are local radio stations saying, now football season is starting. Are we going to be saying that in October when the Big Ten start playing that now football college? No, college football started when the first college football game was played. Let me just make that clear right now to anybody that hears this and anybody that hears that on local radio. College football season is just, get, just getting in full swing. Everybody that's starting late, they're just playing catch up. As far as I'm concerned, college football has started. So what do we make of K-State? One week they lose to Arkansas State. Next week, they do what they did last year. They stun OU. So now the question is, college football takeaways. Is Oklahoma done? Is Florida for real? Playing college football in the midst of a pandemic has made this September even more unpredictable than the unusual sloppy starts we see to start a season. Combined an offseason unlike any other with typical roster and coaching turnovers, plus a lack of true home field advantage without packed stadiums, and you get week number four. Oklahoma losing to a Kansas team that lost to Arkansas State. Georgia struggling with an Arkansas team picked by the media to finish last in the SEC West. Texas needing 63 points and overtime to beat Texas Tech. Big Ten 
and Pac-12 haven't even joined the party yet. But both conferences might be helped down the road by what happened in the Big 12 on Saturday. Here's a look at how the playoff picture is starting to take shape, along with questions that still loom. First, is Oklahoma done? Stop. Five minutes into what probably is going to be remembered as one of the strangest seasons in the sports history. It's premature to write off any one lost teams in September, especially during a year that is likely to continue to be widely unpredictable. The selection committee has repeatedly shown that teams can overcome a loss. Oklahoma did it last year after losing to K-State, but needed some help down the stretch. It is fair to say that, though, that it will be more challenging for the Sooners to do it again, especially after that performance. K-State, which suffered an embarrassing loss at Arkansas State at home two weeks ago, was trailing by 21 in the third quarter, and Oklahoma's defense collapsed. OU quarterback Spencer Rattler finished with three interceptions, the most by an Oklahoma quarterback under Lincoln Riley and most by a Sooner since 2014. Oklahoma in large part because of its Heisman-worthy crop of quarterbacks. Rattler is talented, but probably not as elite as his predecessors, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, and Baker Mayfield. For the committee to consider OU a legitimate contender, and forgive the loss, Rattler has to be better. The defense, which surrendered 31 points in the second half, has to improve quickly. The running game, which averaged 3.7 yards per carry in the loss, has to develop. And Oklahoma has to convincingly beat everyone, including Texas. And the Longhorns have their issues, have their have issues of their own. Texas was fortunate to escape Lubbock with a 63-56 overtime win against Texas Tech. And the Longhorns in Oklahoma State are currently the only two ranked opponents on OU schedule. With each of the Power Five conferences shrinking or eliminating their non-conference schedules, having ranked league opponents will be a critical factor in determining schedule strength. OU doesn't have any marquee non-conference opponents to help compensate for an ugly home loss. It also won't be the Sooners only loss if they don't find quick remedies for the mistake that cost them Saturday's game. If the Big 12 plays itself out of the conversation, it opens up the door for two SEC teams. Again, two Big, team, two Big 10 teams, maybe, Ohio State and Penn State, two ACC teams, Notre Dame and Clemson, if they split, or a 7-0 Pac-12 champ. Will the Pac-12 play enough games to be considered? Will Ohio State, will Alabama, Clemson? No one knows how many games any team will wind up playing in the midst of a pandemic. Houston has tried four times to play a game, but all four opponents have had to cancel or postpone because of COVID-19 issues. Virginia and Virginia Tech played their Saturday, played their season openers on Saturday. The Pac-12's problem is not a seven-game schedule. It's finding a team that elevates from good to great. If one of his teams finishes 7-0, it would certainly be considered for a semifinal spot. Our schools are going to have the opportunity to be in the conversation, have every opportunity, Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott said. We regularly discuss this at the CFP Management Committee. There is no minimum number of games, and we're all very humbly going into the season, realizing there could be disruptions along the way. Our fellow conferences have built that into their schedules with bye weeks, and we've seen it play out over the first few weeks. No one knows how many games they're going to get in. The problem, of course, is with fewer games and a condensed calendar, there is not much, if any, flexibility to react to virus setbacks. The Pac-12 knows this. If we exceed the level of which the state or county thinks is appropriate or our own judgment, we will have to pull the plug or pause for a while, said Michael Schill, University of Oregon president and chair of the Pac-12 CEO group. In the seven-game season, pausing for a long time means losing part of that season, 
but these are students and we have the obligation to protect them and we're going to do that. The SEC's second CFP candidate looks like Florida, not Georgia. With the exception of Alabama, the SEC looked different in its debut, but that was to be expected with four head coaching changes and several new starting quarterbacks. LSU, the defending national champion, returned only five starters. And Tigers looked the part in a home loss to Mississippi State. The question is whether Georgia or LSU are just working out some kinks or it's an Alabama-Florida SEC championship. Expectations were certainly higher for Florida this year. The media picked the Gators to win the SEC East, but it was only by 10 more first-place votes than Georgia. The Gators looked more than capable of widening that gap Saturday. Florida's offense found its stride in a 51-35 win at Ole Miss, racking up 642 total yards, a school record against an SEC opponent. Quarterback Kyle Trask finished with 416 passing yards and six passing touchdowns, and the Rebels had no answer for the connection between Trask and tight end Kyle Pitts. The Kyle and Kyle connection. Meanwhile, Georgia needed a quarterback change to rally to beat Arkansas 37-10. The final score doesn't tell the whole story, as Arkansas held a 7-5 halftime lead. Starting quarterback Dewan Mathis was benched in the second quarter in favor of Stetson Bennett. The Bulldogs had 11 first-half penalties and were just 1-for-12 on third down in the first half. Before Georgia thinks about the CFP, it needs to look like a contender in the SEC East. So far, Florida looks like the team to beat. Don't forget Notre Dame. You did, didn't you? The SEC came rolling in. The Irish had to postpone their game against Wake Forest until December 12th. And boom, you forgot the Irish 2-0 with a talented quarterback in Ian Book and a chance to win the ACC title. They're off again this Saturday because of a bye week, which means they'll have ample time to prepare for their October 10 home game against Florida State. ESPN's Football Power Index gives Notre Dame at least a 70% chance to win every remaining game except November 7th against Clemson, 30.5%. If the Irish lose but beat Clemson to win the ACC title, the ACC could have two contenders. Which leads to the next question. Is there any chance the playoff could expand this year? Zero chance. Nada. No discussion. Instead, as we continue to see games postponed and practices paused each week, CFP officials are hoping the playoff happens, period. The CFP website has a countdown clock ticking to the January 11th National Championship game in Miami Gardens, Florida. 106 days. It is currently selling playoff premium VIP suites. Media and team hotel rooms have already been booked. The whole city was ceremoniously passed from New Orleans to Miami the day after LSU won. On Thursday, when the Pac-12 announced it would start a seven-game season on November 6th, Scott was asked why he wasn't leading the charge for expansion to help his conference secure a semifinal spot. Spot explained that the CFP has an agreement among the 10 FBS conferences and Notre Dame. We are comfortable and thought it was appropriate sticking to the current format that we have for this year, especially who's going to play when, Scott said. So that doesn't mean there isn't a robust conversation about the scenes, about what we're going to do short term and long term, because I can assure you there is. Could a group of five contender make a real run? It got significantly more difficult with the addition of the Big Ten and Pac-12. It's not a long shot, just like any other season. All the FBS conferences are playing this fall. With the MAC starting its six-game season on November 4th and the MWC beginning an eight-game season on October 24th. As of now, the American Athletic Conference has the best teams with UCF and Cincinnati, which both won Saturday. They play each other November 21st, 
which means only one can finish undefeated. For this to be a realistic scenario, the highest ranked group of five champions is going to have to be undefeated, have beaten multiple ranked opponents, and will need multiple Power Five conference champions to have more than one loss. Not having the statement non-conference opportunities against Power Five opponents is a major setback this year for the AAC. So there you have that. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to take a pause and slip in a word from my sponsor. And I will be back with you shortly. This is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, Anthony Smith. So welcome back. And we're still looking at college football. This first one or two segments. And we will get into some NFL. So Oklahoma goes down. Mike Leach is back. And the college football Saturday we didn't know we needed. Simply put, the schedule says the 2020 college football season officially kicked off three weeks ago. And the announcements from the Big Ten, Pac-12, and others suggest the sport won't be at full capacity for another month or more. But all of that is wrong. College football season begins Saturday. What we do truly love about this game, what do we truly love about this game? Name it. Any image you dreamed of during this long, windy, stress-filled offseason, it happens Saturday. Need a stunning upset? We give you Kansas State erasing a 21-point deficit and shocking number three, Oklahoma, for the second consecutive season. Need one of those only in college football storylines to root for? There is now a reasonable case to be made that Elijah Moore's decision to mimic a dog urinating in the end zone late in last season's Egg Bowl represented a tear in the space-time continuum, some alternative universe where a pirate, Mike Leach, and a Stanford quarterback, K.J. Costello, moved to Starkville, Mississippi, and upend the league by topping the defending champs. Want to watch Texas squash the hopes of its fans for another year, only to resurrect it, all in a miraculous three-minute stretch that seemed stunning, even by Big 12 standards? Sarity had that, too. Saturday also gave us Mac Jones solidifying his role as the leader of Alabama's offense, Kyle Trask torching Lane Kiffin's defense, Georgia flipping through a Rolodex of quarterbacks before landing on the last guy anyone was expecting, a kicker, knowing the game winner from 53 yards, a brutal officiating call creating havoc in a top 25 SEC showdown, Kentucky versus Auburn, and Miami delivering a blowout win against arch-rival Florida State. Yes, Saturday was like old times. Weird, surprising, dramatic. A dash of nearly everything we'd been missing since LSU hoisted the trophy in January. Starting Oklahoma, where for three years Lincoln Riley has been less a coach than a shaman, a man whose mere presence on the sideline could conjure Heisman contenders from thin air. Perhaps Spencer Rattler was still blossoming to a genuine superstar. But on Saturday, he threw three picks, the first time a Sooner quarterback has done so since 2014, as Kansas State pulled off the stunner. Moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where perhaps we should have expected a sizable step back for the defending champs, who bore virtually no resemblance to the team that etched his name across the college football record books last season. Mike Leach's debut in the SEC was a marvel. The LSU defense had no answer for Costello, who threw 623 yards. 623 yards. Or Kylan Hill, who rushed just seven times, but hauled in 183 yards, 183 receiving yards in Leach's air raid offense. Click over to see Louisiana kicker Nate Snyder struggling so badly that his coach didn't trust him to connect on a 32-yard try 
in the first quarter, drilling a 53-yard game winner to keep the Cajuns undefeated. Who doesn't love a nice kicker-makes-good story? Check out Auburn's new offensive era, fit with a more experienced Bo Nix at quarterback and Gus Malzahn in a shirt-and-tie tribute to Pat Dye, open with a victory while Kentucky fans spend the aftermath dreaming up imaginative places the officials can stuff their electronic whistles. Sit back and smugly giggle about the tweet you just typed mocking Texas for its large latest catastrophe at the Longhorns Trail by 15 to 3 minutes and 13 to play and ESPN's metrics gave Texas Tech a 99% chance of winning. Then scramble for your keyboard to delete that same tweet when Texas converts a two-point try to tie it with 40 seconds to go. This was the Saturday we didn't know we so desperately needed. It felt right. It felt good. It felt like old times. Ranking the SEC QB performances. Who says, the, who says they play great defense in the SEC? That wasn't exactly on display Saturday. But perhaps we can chalk up the high scores to some terrific QB performances. Costello got a ton of love, throwing for five touchdowns. But LSU was without cornerback Derek Stingley Jr. Hard to imagine Costello topping 500 yards with Stingley in the game, right? At Florida, Trask threw for 416 yards and six touchdowns. Only Danny Warfield and Chris Lee had ever completed compiled six passing touchdowns for the Gators in a game. That's pretty good company. Or how about Knicks at Auburn? In his first game with new offensive coordinator Chad Morris, Knicks delivered three touchdown throws, something he managed only once last season. So, who did it best? Clearly, the nod has to go to Knicks because in addition to his passing stats, he also had 77 yards punting. In today's game, it's important to be versatile. Georgia's QB carousel keeps spinning. Remember when Jamie Newman was the answer at Georgia? That feels like a long time ago. When the Bulldogs kicked off Saturday at Arkansas, Newman wasn't there. He opted out last month. And the seeming Second option, JT Daniels, hadn't yet been cleared to play. That left Dewan Mathis to get the start. But he struggled too, finishing 8 from 17 for 55 yards and a pick. So, that is bad news when you're down to your fourth quarterback, right? Not for Georgia. Stetson Bennett, a man whose name sounds as if he should be a billionaire and whose nickname is the mailman based on some curious hat choices during a recruiting camp years ago, entered in relief and finished strong, compiling, completing 20 of 29 throws for 211 yards and two TDs. Georgia rallied for 32 second half points and in turn avoided a stunning embarrassment. But does that mean Bennett is the starter moving forward? Bulldogs coach Kirby Smart wouldn't say after the game, which shouldn't come as much of a surprise given the secrecy that has surrounded the position for months. Still, unless Daniels is cleared and shows up to practice wearing a Lincoln-esque stovepipe hat, we'll be pulling for Bennett to get at least one more crack at the gig. Game of inches. It's an old coaching cliche that you play until the whistle, but Syracuse and Pitt both managed to prove that prove there's value in the rhetoric. The Orange opened their scoring against Georgia Tech when the Yellow Jackets thought they had Sean Tucker down at the 25-yard line. But nope, Tucker's knee never touched. He rolled over a defender, got up, and sprinted for the TD. Take another look. He will have the first down regardless. Number one is 
What a presence of mind, especially for a freshman, to have the wherewithal to keep playing on through. Whistle hadn't blown, his knee didn't touch the ground. Next thing you know, crossing the end zone. But not to be outdone, Pitts, Taser, Mack was pulled down by the Louisville defense at virtually the same spot on the field, twist over the defender without ever touching the ground. Got up, scampered into the end zone too. There you have it. Basically, two identical plays. What's the chance of that happening twice in the same day? Will it happen? Syracuse, Georgia Tech, Pitt, Louisville. I'm just trying to figure out if I like those Pitt uniforms. The all gray look. Takes some getting used to. I like the old school look that they came back out with back in the days when Tony Dorsett and Dan Marino was playing. But anyway, so much for that. So, we're not the worst. So, ESPN's SP Plus had 91 teams ranked entering week four. The number 90 team was Louisiana Monroe. The number 91 team was UTEP. And in glorious, ugly fashion, the two went head-to-head Saturday. Lest you think the Miners didn't take genuine offense to their dead last ranking. However, you were in for a surprise. UTEP dominated the game, jumping out to a 24-0 lead and finishing with a 31-6 victory. It was UTEP's largest margin of victory since 2016, and the Miners are now unbelievably 3-1 on the season. Sure, two of those wins were against FCS opponents, but let's not split hairs. UTEP had only two wins in the previous three seasons combined. So the Heisman 5, we're ranking only guys who have played. So sadly, we're not yet able to include Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. Although he is considered the number two ranked quarterback in the state of Ohio. So let's dig in. Number one, Clemson QB Trevor Lawrence. An off week for the Tigers, which one hopes allowed Lawrence to spend some extra time on conditioning. And by that we mean using extra conditioner on his luxurious hair. Number two, Texas QB Sam Ellinger. Yes, a lot had to go right for Ellinger to even get the chance to stage a dramatic comfort behind win against Texas Tech, but the guy still delivered when it mattered most, finishing with 332 total yards and six touchdowns. Number three, Mississippi State QB KJ Costello. Costello is probably the most purely talented QB quarterback Mike Leach has ever coached. And boy, that looks as if it will be a fun combination this season. Joe Burrow's record are probably safe because of the abridged season, but Costello is going to put up some numbers in 2020. Number four, Florida QB Kyle Trask. When the phrase, the first time since Danny Warfield comes into play, you've had Yourself a good game, trash through 416 yards, six touchdowns, and the Gators win over Ole Miss, leading Florida to his most 
yards in a conference game in school history. And number five, QB De'Eric King. He went over 300 total yards in his rivalry debut against Florida State. Those Seminole fans probably didn't notice since if they had any sense of self-preservation, they switched over to a Medea Halloween halfway through the first quarter. So what I'm going to do now here is I'm going to pause and take another break. And when I come back, I'm going to have some more news get you caught up with the NFL. So stay tuned. A Train Sports Talk podcast, Anthony Smith. So welcome back to another segment. And before we go into our NFL talk, I'm going to go ahead and give you the AP and the coaches' top 25 rankings. And the AP poll looks like this. Coming in, of course, at number one, Clemson. Number two, Alabama. Number three, Florida. Number four, Georgia. Number five, Notre Dame. And even though they haven't played a game yet, number six is Ohio, no, Ohio State University. Number seven, Auburn. Number eight, Miami. Number nine, Texas. Number 10, Penn State University. Number 11, University of Central Florida. Number 12, North Carolina. Number 13, Texas A&M. Number 14, although they haven't played a game, Oregon. And their 500 different uniforms. Number 15, Cincinnati. Number 16, Mississippi State. Number 17, Oklahoma State. And I'm pretty sure Oklahoma fans aren't going to like this because they're looking up at Oklahoma State because now they're checked in. Number 18, they've took a serious nosedive as they dropped 15 spots from number two all the way down to 15. Ouch. Actually, they were number three, I do believe. Anyway, coming in number 19, have yet to play a game, Wisconsin. Uh, number 20, LSU. Number 21, Tennessee. Number 22 is BYU. Number 23, Michigan, number 24, University of Pittsburgh, and number 25 out of the AAC, Memphis. That's the AP. Now for the coaches poll, it pretty much looks the same as the AP with top five teams being Clemson, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Notre Dame. Coming in at number six is Ohio State, number seven, Auburn, number eight, Miami, number nine, Texas. Number 10, Penn State. Number 11, North Carolina. Number 12, University of Central Florida. Number 13, Texas A&M. Number 14, Mississippi State. Number 15, Cincinnati. Number 16, OU. Number 17, LSU. Number 18, Wisconsin. Number 19, Oklahoma State. Number 20, Tennessee. Number 21, Michigan. Number 22, BYU. Number 23, Virginia Tech, number 24 is Memphis, and coming in, number 25 is Pittsburgh. And there's your top 25 Associated Press and Coaches Poll top 25. And now, we look at some scores right now. If we can pull these scores up. We know the Chiefs and Ravens, they play tomorrow night. And right now with two minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, the Packers have a comfortable, well, I don't know if you want to say comfortable. New Orleans has the ball on the 25-yard line. Uh, but right now, with two minutes, the Packers are leading the Saints 37 to 27. 
the Chicago Bears knocked off, come from behind passion. Nick Foles came in the game to the rescue, knocked off the Falcons 30-26. to The Bills, I would say, would be a signature win for them. Knocked off the L.A. Rams 35-20. to The Browns beat the Washington football team 34-20. to the Titans held on to beat the Vikings 31 to 30. Think and get more. And the Patriots, led by Cam Newton, knocks off the Raiders 36 to 20. The 49ers went back to the field where they met their injury fate and took it out on the Giants, beating them 36 to 9. The Bengals and the Eagles. Doesn't get any worse than this. Tied. Final score 23 all. It was a battle of the Watt family. JJ Watt, TJ Watt. And it looked like the Steelers came out on top, knocking off the Texans 28 21. The Indianapolis Colts handed the Jets their breakfast, lunch, and dinner, beating them 36-7. I think it's time for the Jets to refuel. The Carolina Panthers, led by Teddy Bridgewater, knocks off the Chargers 21-16. Is there a quarterback controversy brewing with the Chargers? Tom Brady-led Buccaneers beat the Broncos 28-10. This game I would have considered an upset as the Detroit Lions knocked off the Arizona Cardinals 26-13. And in the game that I've had interest in, the Seahawks beat my Cowboys 38-31. So there's your scoring recap for this week in the NFL. And with 32 seconds left in the game, Saints have scored, and the score is now Packers 37, Saints 30. So we'll keep you updated on that. We will keep you updated on that Packers. Saints game. A lot of interesting games played today in the NFL. A lot of unexpected games. Unexpected wins, probably most likely. So the question is, what happens with Chicago? The question was asked. Of course, in grand fashion, they will hold off decision. They will get back and discuss that amongst themselves internally before they make a decision because they say they don't want to go back and forth. So that's what's going on in Chicago. But the fact is, Chicago fans are probably dancing in the streets because it's been a long time since they've started a season 3-0. and Drives down the lane and 
And the flush. Wow. And a bio. Count it and one. Off the dribble. Knocks down the mid-range shot and a chance for a three-point play. Iguodala back to Butler. Out of bio. Double team. Out Robinson. Robinson for three. Bang! Duncan Robinson from downtown. And the lead is 15. As the Celtics still fighting, still fighting. Hero. Pass inside. And out of bio with the exclamation point. Eliminate the Boston Celtics in six games. Next up, the Los Angeles Lakers on Wednesday night. Much respect between those two coaches. So there we have it. The Heat. Knocked off Boston. Probably not the finals that people want to see. I get it. The nostalgia. The rich history. The tradition. The epic battles that is Boston, L.A. I get it. People want to see that. Not me. Nothing against the Boston, L.A. And with everything that has gone on, the way it has happened this year. And yeah, it would it would have been nice to see L.A. in Boston. Me personally, I wouldn't mind seeing L.A. Clippers versus. Toronto Raptors, but that didn't happen. But what we have is a team that is gritty and determined, and a team I think could give the Lakers some fits. We have Miami against the LA Lakers. My buddy out there, Rick Thomas, who has his own podcast around the table. And I am going to have to get him on because he's out there in Manhattan now. So I know he he can't part. He has a bum ankle that the doctor says he has to stay off of. So I'm gonna get him on. We're gonna talk more about that K State game. But he was a big. He was wanting to see a my uh, L A Lakers Boston Celtics final. And like I told him, I get the nostalgia, the history, the rich tradition, two of the most storied franchise in NBA history. But let's give it up for Miami. So, NBA Finals, the storylines and stats that matter ahead of Lakers Heat. There aren't many days that go by during the NBA season where LeBron James doesn't use lessons he learned during his four years with the Miami Heat. One is proven to be the most important. Keep the main thing the main thing. It is one of the core tenets. Heat President Pat Riley has preached for years, and it's one that James holds most dear. Even with his growing media company, his charity work in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, his activism, his love for fine wine, James never lets himself forget the main thing, chasing championships. The main thing is here, Heat versus Lakers in the NBA Finals. The Riley-James dynamic, which essentially is the Heat-James dynamic, is complex. James has two rings with Heat logos, accepted two MVP trophies at American Airlines Arena, and probably will have number six retired by the franchise someday. He credits Riley and the Heat not only for teaching him to become a champion, but for helping shape his worldview. Yet, when they broke up in 2014, Riley was furious and James was offended. Though James felt a pull to go home to Cleveland more than he felt a desire to leave Miami, there wasn't much more for nuance. I saw a dynasty flat out the window, Riley told ESPN four years later. That was a 10-year team. I wanted that dynasty. James was turned off by the attitude the heat took when he left and by something that was said to him. When I decided to leave Miami, there were some people that I trusted and built championships with in those four years who told me I was making the biggest mistake of my career. James said the night he won the title with the Cavs in 2016. And that right there was my motivation. 
James never said who it was, though many assumed it was Riley. They had an acrimonious phone call shortly before he made his announcement. Riley denied saying it. Either way, Riley took a major swipe at James several months after he left when he said the team had rid itself of players who had smiling faces with hidden agendas. They didn't communicate for years until Riley sent James a text the night of the 2016 title. James did not reply. The truth is the philosophies of the Heat and those of James ran so very close then and now. They are both obsessed with the nature of winning, a process that unfolds every day of every season, where glory is earned just as much as the mundane discipline of routine as in the arena. Both operate with a militaristic ethos where teammates are considered a band of brothers but are to be held to extreme accountability. Both believe in a family culture but have no problem casting aside a piece or two if it improves chances at winning. They are so much alike, perhaps they were never meant to stay together. In nine playoff runs with the Cavs, James never met up with the Heat. Now in his first in Los Angeles, he will play his old team for the first time with the highest stakes. Revenge is really covered in the main thing doctrine in these finals. James is playing for legacy and in honor of Kobe Bryant. The Heat are trying to show their culture wins out over all the show-offs as a drawing card for free agents in the future. But it won't be that far from the surface either. So here is the series schedule. Game 1, September 30th, Heat versus Lakers, 9 p.m. on ABC. Matter of fact, all games will be on ABC. And I have better read this as it is. It says Heat at Lakers, although we know they're playing in the bubble. At some point, one team or the other has to be designated as the home team and one as the visitors. So Heat at Lakers, 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Game 2, October the 2nd, Heat at Lakers, 9 p.m. Eastern on ABC. Game 3, October 4th, Lakers at Heat, 7.30 p.m. Game number 4, October the 6th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, Lakers at Heat. Game 5, if necessary, Heat at Lakers, 9 p.m. Eastern. Game 6, October 11th, if necessary, Lakers at Heat. And Game 7, October the 30th, if necessary, Heat at Lakers, 9 p.m. Hope you have enjoyed this edition of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Before I <clears throat> get ready to close it out, give you a few basics here so we can get set and ready for the NBA Finals. As we look at the Lakers' road to the Finals, the basics, 2019-20 record, 52-19 overall offensive rating, 111.7, which is 11th in the league. Playoffs, 115.6, second. Defensive rating, 106.1, third. Playoff, 107.8, fifth. Playoff results. Round one, defeated Portland Trailblazers, four games to one. Round two, did the same thing in the Houston Rockets, defeated them four games to two. Denver Nuggets, well, get the idea, four games to one. They won their rounds by combined score of total of 12 to 3. Take some liberties with Moses Malone's famous prophecy. The Lakers went 5 5 and 5 through the first three rounds of the playoffs. After dropping game one of the first round against the Trailblazers, LA won four straight after bubble MVP Damian Lillard left the series early because of a right knee injury. The conference finals followed a familiar script. The Rockets won game one, and then the Lakers finished them off by winning four straight again, constantly changing up their defensive schemes on James Harden to keep the league's leading score off balance. Then came the Denver Nuggets, the darling of the 20 showdown for Los Angeles, having become the only team in NBA history to come back from, come back from down 3-1 twice in the same postseason. While the series lasted only five games, it took an Anthony Davis buzzer beater beating three to win game two, and a LeBron James performance for the ages to close out game five 
and finally put a determined Denver team to bed. Dwight Howard was LA's breakout role player against the Nuggets, taking over for JaVale McGee with the first unit at halftime of Game 3 and keeping that starting center spot next two games. He averaged 10.5 points on 80% shooting and 10 rebounds in one block to close things out. He finds himself back in the finals for the first time since 2009, playing in the city that he took there, Orlando, seeking a ring to validate an otherwise Hall of Fame-level career. He said, I promised myself if I ever got a chance to get back, I was going to give everything I got to help our team win, Howard said. I didn't think this would ever happen, but I'm just so thankful and grateful that I have this opportunity, and I'm going to make the most of it. And we're going to close out with the Heat's road to the finals. 2019-20 record, 44-29 overall. Offensive rating, 111.97. Playoff, 112.7. Fourth. Defensive rating, 109.3. Playoffs, 108.6. Seventh. Playoff results. Round one, defeated Indiana Pacers, four games to none. Round two, defeated the Milwaukee Bucks, four games to one. Round three, beat the Boston Celtics, four games to two. The Heat have been dominant in the postseason. A sweep over the Pacers in the quarterfinals. A game a five-game win over the number one-seeded Bucks in the semifinals, and an impressive six-game triumph over the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. As usual, it was a balanced attack that lifted Miami to the finals, led by all-star Jimmy Butler, but he has had help up and down the roster. Bam Adebayo has shown why he was an all-star. Veteran guard Gorgon Dragic has been great for the Heat and will be a focus of the Lakers' defense. Ricky Tyler Hero isn't going to be afraid of the moment and has the ability to go off the way he did in Game 4 against Boston. Miami's defense has been on point throughout the bubble. The Heat succeeded in mixing in zone during the East Finals, but especially down the stretch against the Celtics. When they needed to run the game around, it was their defense. When they needed to turn the game around, it was their defense that delivered. A trend set by Adebayo's game-saving block on Jason Tatum at the end of game one. So, there is a wrap. Another edition of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And as I always say, the train is steady building up steam, so grab your ticket and get on board because there's no telling where this journey may take you. Thank you for listening to this edition of A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. This is yours truly, Anthony Smith, signing out. Take care of yourself and each other and have a blessed day.